Whether you have a diagnosis or not, I don't care. I'll teach you how to find what's causing your health struggles using the blood work you already have right here on this podcast, but also in my new book, Why Are My Labs Normal? Go grab it on Amazon and let me know you love it and appreciate the knowledge by leaving a review for both the book and this podcast. Practitioners, you can now register for the In This Together live event with me in Orlando, Florida, February 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Grab the link to register below, get all the details, and know that we're in this together. We're going to celebrate you at this event, and I'm going to bring in the best mindset, marketing, and business experts. But more importantly, I can't wait to meet you in person and give you the biggest hug. See you in Orlando in February 20, 21st, and 22nd. If you haven't started using Systemic Formulas supplements yet, you should be. Go to systemicformulas.com and mybiome.com, M-Y-B-Y-O-M-E to learn more. You can also come join me inside their private Facebook group for practitioners called Systemic Formulas Clinical Nutrition. Everyone else can learn more about them and their amazing supplements and their amazing results on Systemic Formulas Instagram page. All right, let's get started and happy holidays. Welcome to the Beyond the Diagnosis podcast with me, Dr. Kylie. Listen to this. I never wanted an eating disorder, which is probably why I dismissed the first doctor who diagnosed me. In fact, the first treatment center I went to, I released myself AMA against medical advice. I remember sitting in front of them, wall up, ears closed, convinced that I wasn't like all the other girls there. I didn't really have a problem. I was so deep in it, I couldn't see it. When I was finally confronted with with it, I didn't want to, so I minimized it. One of the girls I met at my first ED treatment center met with me for coffee after I had left. We were at Barnes & Noble. We went to the bathroom to pee, and I'll never forget what she said to me. Blake, you're really sick. Look at your cheekbones. You can see it in your face. I knew I had a problem, but I just couldn't admit it, because that would mean I'd have to admit that I needed help. If you've read this far, then you probably can relate. You know you have an eating disorder, you've tried treatment, therapy, all the things, but it's still there. It's still there when you look in the mirror. It's still there in the voice. Its voice is there when you confront food. It's there when stress shows up or life throws a challenge at you. It's been your friend until the table's turned and now it's your foe. It's okay to admit that you've been, you've tried what it's okay to admit that what you've tried before hasn't worked. It didn't for me either. I had to try many things and many more things to discover the six pillars of recovered living. Yes, it took work dealing with things I was scared of approaching recovery and healing in a different way, confronting my demons, healing my trauma, facing myself, and giving myself a chance at real life. Here's the thing. You don't have to do this alone, and there are ways to fully recover. I'm blessed to have 11 years as ED, eating disorder free, Blake, and I want you to show, I want to show you the way. It's a leap of faith to actually heal, to let go, to stop white knuckling, to do without, to do it without all the support and what's not working. But it's 100% possible and it's worth it. Let me show you the way. I don't, just don't think you can do it. I know you can. That's from Blake. And Blake is right here with me today. Okay, so as you guys all know, eating disorders is the topic today. And I want to approach this in a very passionate way. Um, I was one of those lucky girls that never fell into this. But not only, I shouldn't say girls, I should just say teenagers. Because it affects men and women. In fact, the worst case I've ever seen was a 12-year-old boy. 
So stay tuned. Everybody should listen to this, whether you think you know someone who has this or not, you do. I guarantee it. And as practitioners, I guarantee you're treating somebody with it or you will at some point. Um, Blake's here to help. Blake, welcome on. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, so Blake, intro. <laughs> yeah, of course you do, because you wrote it, right? There's another one where, um, yeah, I'm going to finish with this next post, because this one was like, that hit my heart, and I, and so that's when I reached out to you, was with this post. So that will be our concluding one. Don't let me forget about it. But stay tuned, guys, because she's got good stuff and she's really going to help us. And we're going to walk through the six pillars of recovered eating. So no matter where you are in your journey or where your friend is or your daughter or your patient, um, you can help them with this. So take it away, Blake. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Um, it's been a very long journey, like you said, 11 years um, recovered now from anorexia, orthorexia, bulimia. Um, I just, you know, I have some friends that I was in treatment with. I was in three different treatment centers and people online and, you know, different people I'm connected with who I see talk about their eating disorder recovery. And it's always this idea that, you know, it's this thing I have to live with. I'm always going to be struggling with it. I just have to get used to it. It's one day at a time. And it's been years and they're just going through this process of this cycle and not ever feeling fully free. And that's something that I've seen in the treatment and recovery, you know, industry and in general. And even when I was in, in treatment, that it's just something that you learn to live with and how that's how we think about addiction. But, you know, the more I was seeing it, the more frustrated I was getting like, that's not true. You know, you can be totally free. And I'm an example of that. And that's why I changed my name. Because after I went through recovery and did all this difficult work and found myself as a different person, I wanted my, my identity to represent that. Um, and that's why I got back into eating disorder freedom coaching. Um, I feel like I have these tools and almost like these secrets that a lot of women don't in order to fully recover. And so that's why I kind of discovered and put together, like you were saying, the six pillars of recovered living, because I think we need to focus on, who we are and what our life is like without the eating disorder. You know, it's, it's this idea that, you know, we're always trying to move away. We're, we're focused so much on the eating disorder. That's why the first pillar is, is actually vision. It's so important to have a vision in your life of what is it's going to be like, who you're going to be without the eating disorder. Cause we're so focused on, you know, I'm in recovery. I'm in recovery. I'm healing from this eating disorder. I'm healing from this eating disorder, but our focus is still on the eating disorder and, you know, who we are struggling with it instead of creating this vision of ourselves without it and so much without it that it feels like a past life because that's how it feels to me. I'm like, I don't feel like I ever had an eating disorder and I really, really, really struggled. I mean, I, like you said in the post that I wrote, um, the first time I was diagnosed, I just kind of laughed at him seriously. <laughs> When he told me that I was malnourished, that I was at danger of physical damage, that I had all the symptoms of anorexia, I literally laughed in his face and said, but I'm too fat to be anorexic. And that was just this body dysmorphia that I could not see, you know, the reality of what was going on. And I had struggled for a very long time. Um, with an eating disorder, I just didn't really realize that that's what was going on. You know, I was 
And there's a lot of disordered eating, a lot of body dysmorphia in my family on both sides. Um, you know, I grew up just being horribly bullied. So there was a lot of trauma, you know, lots of violence in the home growing up and just not having the tools to deal with that. Like who does, you know, we don't really have those tools in general and we're not taught them unless we kind of seek them out on our own. Or if unfortunately we hit a rock bottom like I did and then are kind of pushed to go somewhere that we can learn those things and heal. And then as I kind of, you know, got pushed into the modeling industry, it was very different back then. You had a very specific, you know, body type you had to fit into. And so I was always trying to, you know, like starve myself to fit these ideals that they had. And they wanted to take me to New York, but like, you know, I was off by one inch or off by a few pounds and it was just this consistent struggle. And on top of that, just hating my life and just feeling so out of place. I never felt like I fit in. I definitely struggled with my sexuality back then. I didn't understand that that was what was happening at the time. So there were all these factors and all these pressures and all this trauma that I didn't know how to deal with. And so I felt totally out of control. And the one thing that you can't control is your food. So it just started with this, you know, kind of like obsession about my food and, you know, deciding like how much I could have, how much I couldn't have, um, you know, in high school, like throwing away the lunch that my mom made for me or eating a little bit and then purging in the bathroom. Um, most of the lunches, I would just go sit at my locker by myself. It, I got so much anxiety just being in the lunchroom. I was so, so socially, had so much social anxiety. You know, I had dyslexia. I was just, I felt so awkward. I just never felt like I could interact with people. It's something I've really had to grow into over time. I mean, the people who know me today would never know that I struggled with that, but um, it was it was really difficult. So middle school, high school for me were just, you know, awful. I, I You could not pay me a million dollars to go back there. I, I wouldn't. Um, and I know me a lot either, of, but that's way for yeah. different reasons. Well, yeah, I mean, you know. It, College I, was the same way for me too. I just, I just like where I am now. Yeah, I agree. So I would never go back to school, no matter what time period it was. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I went to several different colleges and it was just like, it it was just, it's an interesting life. I think the way that we're put into the structure and, you know, going down this path and, you know, as you know, like as an entrepreneur, it's a very different mindset and a different way of thinking. Um, And just, you know, as we kind of work with ourselves and work with other people, it's a journey of healing that we weren't really taught. I wish that they would teach life skills in school. Maybe, maybe someday. (laughs) Maybe like, like running a credit card and having a budget and, you know, important things that we need, not calc, calc 510 or whatever the heck the class is now. Yeah. And like good communication. And even talking about food in schools. Mm-hmm, definitely. I mean, I don't even want to get started about lunches and breakfasts that are offered in schools. I know. And then they're like, oh, well, you have ADD and ADHD. Well, no freaking die. You fed them sugar all, yeah. for all breakfast and nothing else. Right. Whatever. Exactly. Okay. So number one is vision. Mm-hmm, vision. So, um, so, and that was something that was challenging for me because, you know, when you're in that, when you're in the eating disorder and you know, whether you're super aware of it or whether you're not, you, it's like your entire life is in this little like dark bubble and you can't see past what that looks like. And, um, you know, honestly, it's, 
I hate to say this, but the reality is that often in, in addiction and in process addictions, like eating disorders, we do have to hit some type of, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a rock bottom, but it's a dark place that really forces us to wake up and look at like, oh, this is a situation I'm in and this needs to change. Because if you have an addiction and it's working for you and, you know, you don't have any reason to change, why would you? You know, it's and that really is for anything in life, even down to like how we treat our bodies and the relationship we have with exercise or, you know, with relationships or in our marriages or anything like that. So um, it got to a point for me where it, at first it was this way of having control in my life. It was a way for me to feel connected to myself in a way because I felt so disconnected from everything else. And it became my friend because an eating disorder is a mental illness. It truly at its core is a mental illness. And it, it, it's like this voice, this entity that you live with. And it became my friend. You know, it was just this thing that made me feel better when I wasn't able to, you know, it's almost like I would disassociate sometimes. And um, as I got older, it just kind of carried on. But to me, it was normal. Like, oh, I need to lose a few pounds. Let me restrict. Or, oh, I feel like I'm not, you know, I just, I'm so emotional and like, I'm feeling triggered. Like, I just don't want to touch food, you know, or, you know, the purging coming into that, or even like making up for calories in a different way, because, you know, their eating disorders can show up in so many different ways. And women can have, like you said, men, women, non-binary humans, humans in general, like anybody can have an eating disorder and you can't tell by looking at them. It's, you can be at a healthy weight and have an eating disorder. It's, it's a mental thing. And um, especially with, you know, bulimia, you, you would never know. And a lot of people that I was in treatment with, I mean, you would have no idea, but it was this mental battle they struggled with. And um, it just got to a point where I was just getting sicker and sicker. My life did not go down a path I was expecting. And I just didn't have any energy and I was waking up and just feeling like I just can't, I can't really, I can't function right. Like, I think I have mono, like I'm just so tired all the time. And I went to urgent care thinking like, okay, just tell me that I have mono, give me something for it or something like that. And he put me on a breathing machine and told me that, you know, my organs were going to shut down if I didn't fix what was happening, that I had all the symptoms of anorexia, I was severely malnourished. And I just remember just being shocked, like, what are you talking about? And when I left there, I just thought, like, that's ridiculous. There's no way that's possible. But let me just kind of, like, think about it. It planted a seed, and I started thinking. And I went to an outpatient treatment center in Denver where, um, you know, like you read my post, I ended up saying, like, this isn't me. I don't have a problem. Like, it just, I was so in my ego about it. Like, oh, well, like, let me help these girls. Like, I'm not one of them. And, um, you know, they were very like, do not check out, like you need to stay here. And I just couldn't, I couldn't see it. I just didn't want to deal with it. It, it's such a difficult thing to admit that you have a problem, especially when it comes to an addiction. And, you know, I just, I grew up being so different. I didn't want to be different again, you know, in this way and like needing help. I just wanted to be normal and like live a normal life. Um, which what does normal even mean? And so, um, you know, things just progressed and it, instead of it being my friend, it, it turned into my foe and just started like slowly killing me. And 
um, it got to a point where, you know, this situation happened with my friends and they kind of like backed out of an agreement we had. I ended up homeless, living out of my car, sleeping on couches, um, just trying to like live moment to moment. And then I just had a day where I was like, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be here. You know, I just didn't know what else to do. So I planned my suicide. Um, and right at the last moment, I had this like moment of just this energy wash over me. And I just felt this like, Blake, everything's going to be okay. Like, I just knew in that moment that I didn't want to die. I wanted to live. I just didn't know how. And I, at that moment, I knew like, okay, I need help because this is the direction I'm going. And if I don't get help because I have no idea what to do, then, you know, it's the end for me. And I spent probably seven hours that night researching every eating disorder I could find. You know, I had criteria, like I wanted it to be holistic. I wanted to heal the core issue. I didn't want to have to continue to struggle with it. I needed something that was LGBTQ friendly. Um, I didn't want to stay in Colorado. I wanted to get away from all of the trauma and like, you know, everything in my environment. I needed to just start fresh. And um, I was in a bed at a treatment center one week later and they were amazing. They talked to me every single day on the phone, helped me, you know, just remember like I'm moving toward this new future. Everything's going to be okay. And I was really blessed that I had a great group of girls in that, you know, in that environment who were all very committed to doing the work. Um, I had a great treatment team. It just, we, really addressed a lot of things and they really approached things with compassion and every treatment center is different. Um, but this one wasn't as rigid. It was more of like very like kind and loving and empathetic and um, forgiving because if we, you know, made a mistake or did something that maybe wasn't, you know, in line with the treatment policies, it would be more of like, let's sit down and have a conversation and talk about what's really going on here. Whereas the third treatment center I went to, was very rigid and was not like that at all. So it's important to meet the person where they're at, I think. And because the thing is, like when you're struggling with an eating disorder, you are beating yourself up all the time. It's like you hate yourself. And it's not like, it's not on purpose. It's just that that's the eating disorder. It's you're not perfect. You're never good enough. You know, you're not lovable. It's just this, these ideas that you've picked up from, it could, really come from a lot of different places but when things are really really rigid with like you know a, a doctor or a practitioner and they're not able to have empathy and really try to understand where the person's coming from it just feels like you know rejection and then it's almost like you know I go back into my shell again and I put that wall up again and I just feel like nobody understands nobody can help me um, and you know, it just reinforces like, I need the eating disorder because you feel so alone. You don't feel like anyone understands and you don't feel safe. And so I think that, um, you know, as someone who's working with people struggling with eating disorders, like the first thing to think about is just creating a safe environment where they can, you know, show up and be themselves as the sick self, like it's okay that you're struggling with this thing. I'm not going to judge you or come down on you and, you know, tell you like, I mean, yes, you obviously want to address like how bad it is and things like that, but communicating in a way where, you know, you're not contributing to them beating themselves up anymore, but like giving them some sense of love and kindness. Um, because 
otherwise it just kind of like shoves back into that idea that, oh, I'm not good enough. You know, I'm not lovable. Like here's another person telling me I'm doing something wrong. Um, and I'm, I'm just really blessed that I got treatment that helped me really discover what was going on. And we did a lot of trauma work. And one of the things that we learned in our aftercare program was EFT tapping which was so cool because I had learned EFT from Dr. Joe Vitale. Um, he's one of the speakers in The Secret, the movie and the book, The Secret, if you've seen that. And so it was so cool because I'm like, oh my gosh, I've used EFT before. Like, this is so awesome. And they taught us how to use it for triggers. So, you know, when you leave treatment, like obviously you're out in the world, you're going to get triggered, stuff's going to come up you know, how do you deal with that without going back into the eating disorder? And we were constantly practicing um, how to use EFT for that. And I just latched onto that. I mean, I, I fell in love with it because A, it's a tool you can use on yourself. It's free. You don't need another practitioner. And it's very visceral. Like, it's not, um, it is a mental tool, but it's something that you're doing that's changing what's happening in your body. So it, it's very somatic. And I found it's this tangible. It's yes. not like a foreign, I just have to do this in my head kind of thing. Like you right. actually are doing movement. So it's keeping you focused and you feel right. something different. Exactly. It, you feel the movement in your body and somatic work is so important when dealing with trauma, I believe, because trauma is stored in the cells of our body. You know, it's, it's mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and and I love it because once you have the technique memorized, like the specific points, you literally can do it without thinking. And the challenge that we have when we're in a trigger is in the trigger, your mind is offline, right? You're in fight or flight mode. So you can't, it's in that moment, I can't think like, okay, let me take three deep breaths. Like your mind can't, can't work like that. So tapping when it's subconscious, because you know the point, you literally just start tapping. It activates the, the parasympathetic nervous system. It calms you down. It brings you back into the center of the moment. And then you can progress forward without feeling that trigger. And I just became obsessed with it. I mean, I've literally nonstop talked about EFT since then for like 10 years. I mean, everybody in my life knows it. I love EFT. I teach EFT because um, it's just amazing. And I think that that's something that is missing for a lot of women is something that they can use on themselves in the moment. And it just, it gives you so much power in order to, you know, to heal. Cause it's a process like the healing process of dealing with the core issue of the eating disorder, the trauma and all the other things that are contributing. That is it's work. It takes work. But once you get to this point where you kind of get to a tipping point and you're able to, you know, visualize this version of you without your eating disorder you have the tools that you can use, then you're able to become this version of yourself that doesn't struggle in the way that you used to. So when a trigger comes up, it's like you've rewired the neural pathways in your brain. So instead of being triggered and going straight to, oh, my eating disorder, like this is what's going to happen with food or, you know, the way that I beat myself up or the thoughts that come up that are extremely damaging, you're going over here to a different tool because you've done that work to heal your, your brain, you know, the spiritual component, the physical component. Um, and that's kind of where the six pillars come in. So, you know, one of the pillars is, um, mindset and tools. So, you know, I'm talking about EFT and shifting your mindset and the way that you think about yourself, um, which really contributes to that vision. So to me, the vision is like, 
you know, the pole on the ground. It's the thing that you're working toward. It's the thing that you are learning to believe in over time because it can be challenging at first for us to believe that we can have something else, be something else. Um, but I truly believe like for me personally, and, you know, I think the women I attract into my circle, like I believe that we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And I think that we all came here with desires that we're meant to live. Like if we have a vision of something, it's because we were designed to bring that vision to life. And I think that, you know, this process of going through things like this is us growing and evolving in order to become who we need to be to bring these visions to life. And I know that you know, for me, like I had to go through so many different things to become the person that I am today that's able to, you know, create the art and music that I do, help the women that I do, have the type of relationships that I have, um, you know, build these things that I wasn't able to do before. And so for me, that vision is like that stake in the ground. It's the thing that's, you know, we're moving toward. It also gives us kind of an idea of like measuring where we're at in the process of healing and then having those tools that we can use and shifting our mindset to think like the recovered woman. And, and it's a process, you know, we're kind of going from like one reality to another and there's a lot of shifting back and forth and, you know, stuff will come up and that's, what's beautiful about it because part of being human is discovering who we are and making mistakes and growing from them. And, you know, one of my personal issues with the 12 step program, it definitely works for some people. I think that it's not completely working and dealing with the core issue, but I hate this idea of relapse being starting the clock over. To me, that is so discouraging. Like if something happens, like there's a relapse or a slip, I want to approach it like, okay, what can I learn from this? Like, how strong am I? How, how am I able to continue on? What, what is this telling me? Like what, what was triggering that I need to actually address and, and deal with? And how can I use this as something to help me be stronger and to move forward and to continue to heal? Cause I feel like when we think about a slip or a relapse, like, Oh man, like I did this wrong. Now I have to start, I have to over. start all over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's not, it's not conducive to growing. It just is, it's defeating. And then instead of working toward being recovered and just living like a happy, fulfilling life, you're trying to just not relapse. And it's almost like, well, it's the same type of struggle. It's just showing up in a different way. And so I'm interested in like, let's eradicate the root of this because, you know, that's the issue. Like the eating sort is a symptom. Like let's look at what's really going on. And, and, you know, there's so many different factors, you know, how we're raised, the, our caretakers and their relationship with their body and food, what's going on in school, you know, and now with social media, it's a whole extra layer. Um, there's a lot more support online, but there's also a lot more contributing to the problem um, online. Yes. It's, it's just, it's so interesting to me to look at where things are at now versus when I was growing up. Um, and so... Too, oh, yeah. Like, let me, let me pause and say, you know, we talk about eating disorders and anorexia and bulimia, but you mentioned orthorexia, mm -hmm. which is the new one where, especially in my industry, mm -hmm. you know, we get sugar is terrible for you. Don't eat red 40. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on so much so that it is an eating disorder. That's why they have a name for it. Mm -hmm. Orthorexia. You're so, you have to eat so perfectly healthy mm -hmm. so cool. that it demolishes 
your social ability. I mean, it, it impacts other areas of your life and it is rampant mm-hmm. in the functional medicine world. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I always laugh when I get like fellow colleagues <laughs> posting something about this on Facebook or social media on any platform. And yeah, that's all I'm going to say about it. I mean, and that's the thing. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned that from that perspective um, on your side of, you know, that healing and, and working with patients because I don't think that we talk about it enough. And, and now I'm like, you know what? I really should do some blogs and videos about this because you should. Yeah. That was a huge struggle for me. So many people will get on like, Hey, don't eat this. Don't eat that. Don't eat this. Don't eat that. And you look into all of our food. I'm like, well, then what in the heck are you supposed to eat? Mm -hmm. You know, one person says go vegetarian. One person says go carnivore. Another person says autoimmune, you know, anti-inflammatory. There's so much out there that my biggest question I always get asked is, well, what do you want me to eat? I'm talking with patients and I always say, you know what? I want you to eat food Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I want you to have fun. I want you to enjoy that food Mm -hmm. when you're eating. I don't even care what the heck it is. You don't want me on some specific, some diet. I'm like, well, what diet haven't you tried? Mm-hmm. I've tried them all. Mm-hmm. Then that's the point. I want mm-hmm. you to have a good relationship with food that it is now your friend. It is not your exactly. enemy. So like we've been talking about the eating disorders, the anorexia, the bulimia, but there's this other category of them as well that it's like, you know, I can't walk out the door of my house unless I have all this food packed for me. That's specific. I mean, it's a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. And it's another problem because mm-hmm. now people are have this food is the culprit. Food is not the culprit. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Until we got bypassed that both from my own myself and my own colleagues, we stopped grilling that in people's heads because we're just creating more disorders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now people like that, unless they've been listening to me, they're shocked. Like, wait, you want me to actually eat food and it's okay if I have a bag of brownie? Like, Heck yeah. Yes. I want you to go to that Christmas party and I want you to eat all the fudge you want. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But it's, be, it's because it's that changing that relationship with food and changing our relationship with our bodies mm-hmm. and trusting in our bodies that it's not, food is not evil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Food can be super powerful for us and is, mm-hmm. but we've made it this enemy. Exactly. And it's not really about the food too. Like that's, that's what's so interesting. And relationship with food is another one of the pillars. And it's, it's like, you're saying it's so important to have a relationship with, like, this is a relationship, just like any other relationship in our lives. Like we're communicating with food. We're, you know, talking to food. And with, and the interesting thing with eating disorders is you can't get away from that. Like, it's not a drug that you can put down and walk away from. Like you actually have to shift the way that you think about food, the way that you talk about food, the way that you think about your body. And, and for me, I think the, the idea that I have that I feel like really helped me and I like to explain is that, you know, our body was designed, we, we have DNA that has designed our body in the way that it is and in, in this beautiful glory and everyone is so different and, you know, it just that's how we were designed. And when we trust the design then like everything else just works itself out. So it's, it's when we get in the way and we're like restricting or binging or doing these things. Is that a pillar? 
it's it's just part of the the relationship with self but let's make it an accept, uh, yeah. seventh trust yes. the design trust the design let me write this down too yeah it's um it's so important though because in today's society it's like and it's this and it's the social media highlight reels like nobody is showing up most of the time when they're going through being human like being human means this roller coaster of emotions and that, and that's okay you know we want to be functioning in those roller coaster of emotions but you know it's it's so important for us to really be okay with being in tune and spirituality to me is a big part of that and as a, as a pillar like having a relationship with something that you can lean on and trust i don't care if it's you know god you know energy spirituality like you know buddha a doorknob like it doesn't matter just something that you can lean into in those moments where you feel overwhelmed where you feel like you're hitting a dead end and something that you can kind of relax into and learn how to trust. And that's a process. Like in an eating disorder, you know, you don't really trust anything because you can't, you don't trust yourself. And so that's a process. But, you know, there is a huge issue with, you know, orthorexia. And like for anyone who's listening and doesn't know exactly what that is, it's this obsession with clean eating, with, um, you know, being like very, very, very structured, very restrictive you know, there's only these exact things that you can have. And for me, what triggered that was I was watching documentaries um, on veganism and I just had this like traumatic moment and was like, oh my gosh, I can't eat any animal products. And instead of thinking about it from a perspective that I do now, I just cut all of that out. I didn't replace it with anything. And it was like, oh, yay, like more food I can't eat. You know, it wasn't like, I can't have that for these reasons or I choose not to have it. It was like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Like I, I don't have to eat this stuff. And it just like led me down this path that, you know, was just so obsessive. I mean, just, you know, to the point where it's so difficult, like you said, like going to go see family or going to these like different events and things. And well, I know moms who are literally, it's hard enough to cook one meal a day for the family. They're cooking two or three because they can't eat with families. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, it's is is that really the goal of our industry is to make life harder? Yeah, making cooking food harder. Right, it's hard enough. Yeah, I have meals delivered to my door. Yeah, it's hard enough. Yeah, but yeah, it's this this idea of let's just make food. Let's I always say better our relationship with money. Let's better our relationship with food too. Yes, I love that. It's yeah. the same. It's another relationship. So we've covered vision. Mindset tools, I would assume spirituality is a pillar. Mm-hmm. What's the other three? Um, healing trauma. So I was kind of talking about that. So okay. healing the core issue of what's going on, different trauma yep. has happened. Um, you know, I love EFT for that. And there's so many other tools that I teach as well. Relationship with food, um, like we were talking about as well. You know, shifting that. Because everything in life is a relationship. You're in relationship with money. You're in relationship with food. You're in relationship with your pets. You're in relationship with your spouse, your family, um, you know, nature, exercise, like all, everything in life is a relationship. And exercise is a good one. Mm. Thinking about exercise in a relationship, like I have a relationship with exercise. Like for example, my brother and his wife are, they're always at the gym every morning and then they tell me again last night kylie you need to come for, to burn boot camp with us you need to come to burn you've been telling me this for three months and i wanted to say to him last night more so than any other time it's like dude 
I'm glad I have a healthy relationship my, with my body because you make it sound like I'm some obese person who can't even get off the couch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like the way that you keep grounding this into my head and it's not about exercise or fitness. It's about feeling healthy. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And where I've known people, one of them, I had to tell a patient, look her dead in the eye and say, you're, you're running yourself to death. And as soon as you say it that way, where she's running the ultra marathons and doing crazy, crazy, ridiculous, high altitude hikes. And it's all because that's what's healthy. Mm -hmm. Like it's an extreme again. Yeah, exactly. It's an extreme, right? Exactly. So um, shifting our relationships in a variety of ways. Exactly. In a variety of relationships. Exactly. And, you know, that shows up in our relations with humans too, with the eating disorder. It's, you know, you're not able to relate to people in a, in the same way. And, you know, communicating is difficult. You know, you're just, you shut down, you, you just don't know how to show up as yourself. There's walls are up. It's, it's like this little world that you've created for yourself and you don't want to let anybody in because then it like disrupts the world you've created for yourself. And that's where you feel safe. And, you know, um, and like, because obviously, you know, people in my life, friends, family are not my clients and not, you know, I'm not trying to enroll them into coaching because that wouldn't be great. But if I know somebody or I see those types of behaviors, I like to ask them, you know, things like, so how, you know, how are things going with your family or, you know, what, like, what plans do you have for your future? Or what's like, what's your favorite thing to do in the world? Or what is your, your vision? Like, where do you see yourself in five years? And it starts this conversation where they're starting to think like, huh, I don't know. I don't really have a vision for five years or, you know, things are, are really challenging. And, and I'll ask them like, well, how does that make you feel? And, you know, how is that showing up for you? Like, how do you deal with that? So I'm planting these seeds where they start thinking about it. And then they'll come back to me a week later and be like, you know, it's so weird that you said that because I realized that, you know, I, I, I'm, my relationship with food just is kind of weird. And now I'm seeing like my mom does this certain thing and I kind of do this certain thing. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's understandable. It's, you know, it's a way for us to cope. And I think just opening up conversations and asking reflective questions, it plants those seeds that people start thinking. And then it just, over time, that seed grows and grows and grows. And then they're able to see things through a different lens. So with somebody who's like, doing marathon after marathon and climbing mountain after mountain like what are they running from you know like they're running from something and so sometimes like metaphorically things can also be very literal it's really interesting mm -hmm. um i never but, thought about that one but you're dead right yeah, yeah yeah she's running from something yeah it's so or not or not wanting or avoiding something not wanting to face exactly so she's filling her time with other exactly other activities right right and how can you have like a relationship, you know, that's fulfilling and, you know, friendships and hobbies. Like I'm always asking people like, what are your hobbies? Like, what are the things you like to do that you don't have to do? You, you choose to do it. And a lot of people like don't have hobbies. Like we get so like worked up and like, this is how my life needs to be. And, and you were just trying to not be present and like just sitting and like doing something creatively and like letting this other part of ourselves come out because it's like this block and that like I'm a musician I make music and I I sing and I love creating music but I could not have done that in my eating disorder like there was not a creative opening for that to come through and so that kind of like is always a, an indicator to me like okay well let's like 
talk about why, like, why, why aren't you like doing the things that you kind of desire? Like, oh, you want to learn guitar? Like, tell me why you haven't done that yet. So, um, you know, finally, the, the final um, pillar is boundaries, which I think is something we're beginning to talk about more um, in general, now that like people are showing up on social media in different ways, and like different people are talking about it. But boundaries to me is like, the protection of your recovered living. Like you have done all this work, you have grown yourself, you have learned these tools, you have you have this vision, you're stepping into this vision. And side note, you will always be creating a new vision. Always. We're growing, we achieve something. Oh my gosh, we're gonna celebrate. Like, oh, this is so amazing. Like I did this. We're gonna write it down. We're gonna put it on our wall of wins. We're gonna like remind ourselves in our like badass list like yes I did this okay like what's the next wall of wins I love that one too I have a wall of wins right by my door and I'm just like writing out like yes 11 years of recovery like yes I you know I let go of this toxic relationship that I was really struggling with and like yes I published my second song and you know it's like so everybody listening right now I don't care if you're a practitioner if you're just anybody doesn't matter Create yourself a wall of wins. Yeah. And start marking down every single win. Uh, I'm hosting a, yeah, the little ones. I'm hosting a conference in February in Orlando, Florida for us practitioners. And one of the big things is that each night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night of the conference, we're going to party and we're going to celebrate our wins and celebrate our accomplishments because no, we don't do it. Just as natural human beings, especially entrepreneurs, we're always striving for the next level. Like, okay, we made a million dollars now. Now I want to make $5 million now. now. You know, having that, always hitting, having to hit the next level and forgetting to look back and see, you know, five years ago, all I wanted to have was, was one client. All I wanted to be able to do was be able to host my first, you know, Zoom virtual call. I remember those shoes sitting in there thinking, you know, is anybody going to show up on it kind of thing? Now I've got 50 people at the tip of a finger showing up at my workshops, but looking back and remembering the stepping stones you've taken, create yourself a wall of wins. That's the easiest thing to do. (laughs) So go grab, even if it's like a 12 by 12 cork board, go get something that you can create and celebrate your wins, your journey of life, because it's worth celebrating. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm such a visual person. So I love to see it, you know, cause I have notes in my phone too, but this is like, it's there. It's, you know, whether it's in your office or your bedroom or even your bathroom. I mean, somebody once told me that they would print out their vision board laminate it and put it in their shower and I was like that is brilliant because you're in there so often like you're just able to like stick to you know reeve you're in there like doing nothing so you can exactly see and think about and get your mind on the right things when you're looking at that kind of stuff exactly exactly so So, um, all right guys super cool yeah so finally boundaries um to me it's just like you know, that loving bodyguard who's like, I have done all this work. Like you are not welcome into here. If you are not on the vibe, you know, like being able to, um, learn how to say no, like that's really hard for women in general, but especially with eating disorders. I mean, humans really, um, and you know, learning how to communicate with people in a way that is kind and respectful, but also firm. So we don't want to be like, you know, oh my gosh, like, 
this person is like such a brat, you know, we want to be able to show up and communicate and, you know, for somebody to hear us because we're, we're coming from like the voice of an adult, um, not from like the voice of a child who's traumatized and like is upset and can't really say what they're trying to get out with their words. Um, and then, you know, knowing how to navigate like situations where, you know, the energy isn't great and maybe people are, you know, gossiping or, you know, doing things that like, it doesn't really feel good to your energy and how to put yourself in healthy situations, communities, like finding your tribe, finding people that are on this journey with you. Um, and then your internal boundaries. So like, what are the things that are like, no go. I do not say these things to myself. I do not allow myself to say these things. I do not allow myself to think yes. how to catch those things, how to shift them Internal quickly. Boundaries. Yeah. And I think that that's so important because it gives us these markers of like, okay, red flag internally. I see that thought. I'm just going to forgive myself, love myself, move on. You know, there will be no beating up. If I'm beating myself up, I forgive myself for judging myself for having this thought. Um, and, and that just allows us to continue on this journey of like being recovered because to me, recovered living is, it's like creating this life where you're living as a new identity, as a new person with new ways of living in life. Um, and it's just maintaining that in the same way that like, you maintain anything else, you know, you have a goal, you get there and you're just doing the things every day. They're going to help you in like in our business, right? We reach a goal or we grow our audience and then we're just going to show up for them every day and we're just maintaining and it becomes so easy because the momentum is going and you know what to do and you have the tools and you know, you're in a community that's supporting you, which is so important. Um, and that's why I love doing, you know, group programs. Like I've had so many women request that for me because they love to be in an environment of women who are healing alongside of them. So I think, you know, when we think about it from the perspective of like, this is the person that I want to become and work through the parts of us that don't believe that we can do that as we work through the rest of the pillars, it's just miracles. I mean, I have done things I never thought possible because I chose to view recovery in a different way. And, you know, like I said, when I see women just struggling and like, oh, well, you know, I relapsed or, oh, I slipped or, you know, oh, it's just still a struggle. I'm just like, oh my gosh, it doesn't have to be that way. Like, like let's chat because, you know, it's just like, you can be free from it completely. And I just, I want people to know that, you know, that it's possible. And, and I'm not just the only one. There are lots of us out there who, are examples of that. If you're like, I need to work with Blake, go to blakefreedom.com slash checklist. And if you're still on the fence, let me read you this and you'll go get it. Go get, join her. By the way, she's on Facebook, which is what I'm reading this at Blake yeah. Freedom. I'm assuming Instagram too. Blake right? Freedom everywhere on the internet. Yeah. Blakefreedom.com slash checklist. Find her on, Bla on Instagram and Facebook. Here's her, her post from June 3rd. All right. When I was secretly in my eating disorder, my boyfriend at the time would scold me for not eating or cooking. When I told him I had been diagnosed with anorexia, he said the doctor was wrong. He told me I just needed to get into the kitchen and work at a restaurant where I would constantly be around food and would, quote, get over it. I will never forget that moment, the car we were in, the road we were on, the sound of his voice. It's burned into my brain because that was the moment where I felt the most terrified I'd ever felt. I felt less scared on roller coasters, on runways, on stages in front of hundreds of people, even naked on camera. 
Being around food scared me so much that I just wouldn't be. That was part of my eating disorder. He made me feel unsafe in that moment and pulling away from him and that experience and into my eating disorder made me feel safe. That's why we have them to protect us, to help us cope, to make us feel safe in a world that feels out of control. Food is the easiest thing to control. It's something we have to confront every day. There isn't much of a difference between all the different eating disorders, despite them all looking different. It is obvious in anorexia that it's controlling your food, bulimia, but here's one that might not, binging, emotional eating. When you are consuming in order to numb, you might feel out of control. It is an addiction, but the act of the behavior is a form of control. It is having control over how you cope. All eating disorders are the same at their core, and they are healed the same way. Dealing with the core trauma, healing it, creating a vision of a recovered life, and implementing the six pillars of recovered living. I'll be talking more about this soon in my life-changing course for women who want to say goodbye to the eating disorders forever. After doing the inner work myself, I no longer feel scared in the kitchen. I feel empowered. I love knowing that I am nourishing myself, using my creativity to feed myself, and get to learn through cooking classes. It is the ultimate act of self-love. And you can keep reading on Blake's post here, but... uh. That's it. So Blake, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Hasn't this season just been so good? We will end it right before Christmas on December 22nd and be back in January for more. Now, along with our incredible in-person event in this together live in Orlando, Florida, you have one last opportunity to come join me live over the virtual Zoom feed. December 13th and 14th is the final live Master Bloodwork event with a twist. December 13th and 14th block the dates 1 to 5.30 p.m. Eastern both days. Go to the link below to learn more and register. You can also register for the conference right now and get your early bird pricing. All right, let's get going and let's impact the world one life at a time, one podcast episode at a time.